Thank you for downloading the podcast. We pray the Word of God will richly bless you today. Now let's get right into the Word with Pastor Rusty Martin. offering envelope. Praise the Lord. I'm going to take just an extra minute or two tonight over in the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy. Let me get over there. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. How many want great gain? It says, For we brought nothing into this world. It's certain we can carry nothing out. Having food and raiment, let us be therefore content. Well, you know, life need, you need a little more than food and raiment to make it through life. Amen? It says, But they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Now notice what it says in verse 10. For the love of money is the root of all evil, while which, some, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things. Follow after righteousness, goodness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. Now let me read verses 9, 10, and 11 in the Amplified. I like it in the Amplified. Verse 9, it says, But those that crave to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish, useless, godless, and hurtful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction and miserable perishing. For the love of money is the root of all evils. It is through this craving that some have been led astray and have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves through with many acute mental pains. Now, here's the thing. Money's not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. The love of money can be summed up in one word. That is greed. Greed will destroy you. Greed knows no boundaries. Uh, greed, the people, there are people that have billions of dollars that are greedy. There are people that have no money that are greedy. And it is a love of money. Now, let me tell you why people love money. People think that money can cure all the ails of their life. But I want you to know there are a lot of things that money can't cure. Uh, where's my amens? I didn't give me any amens on that. There's a lot of things that money can't cure. And one thing that I guarantee you is a disease is greed when it gets in you. Now, I studied, was meditating on that today. Listen to this. Greed knows no boundaries. That means it'll get into every area of your life. I mean, it'll, 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 it'll control you. It will manipulate you. It will intimidate you. Greed will do that. Greed is a horrible taskmaster. Greed is a lying spirit that says money is the answer. Amen. Greed will drive you. Greed is never satisfied. Greed will sit on the throne of your heart. Greed will promise everything and deliver nothing. 
Greed will promise everything and deliver. Greed will promise everything and deliver nothing, leaving those motivated by it empty, lonely, and depressed. Now, God gave us something to break greed. You say, "What is that?" He gave us giving. Giving will break greed in your life because greed. Listen, greed will drive you crazy. Greed will cause you to worry about money. Uh, greed, greed will cause you to want it when you get it. You still can't get enough. Uh, greed will keep you in fear. Uh, greed will cause you not to give. And greed will help money remain the God of your life. But the good news is when you make a decision to break that spirit of greed, you've automatically broken poverty. Listen, poverty knows no boundaries. Listen, there are people that are multimillionaires that still have poverty mentality. Poverty just doesn't mean people that live in third world countries. There are people that are tormented with poverty today that have money, money stuffed in their mattresses, money in their banks account, money's in their, money in their safe deposit boxes, and they still uh, cut all the coupons out of the paper trying to go over four or five different grocery stores trying to you know, save a nickel on a can of soup. Amen? Greed produces compulsions. I heard a guy teach on this one time, and it was amazing because he was teaching on prosperity, <coughs> excuse me, but he was doing it in such a way to break compulsions that fear produces. And he started talking about all the things that people do, like never throwing straws away. He was talking about his grandmother. Uh, she never, you know, you go to the store and they'd give you like, you know, one Coke and three straws. He'd always save like two straws, had a whole draw drawer for a, full of straws, always afraid they're going to run out of straws. You know, you go to certain people's house, and they got newspapers stacked up everywhere. Why? Throw those things away. You don't need those newspapers. You don't need to save all the little ketchup things that you get in your, you know, people do that. That's a compulsion. Did you know that? Uh-oh, we stepping on toes tonight? Amen? I mean, people do all. One time I got in this guy's car, and his whole liner of his car was nothing but toothpicks. I said, throw those nasty things away. I don't want to sit in his car. So I just want to make sure I always had a toothpick. I said, they got them at every restaurant. All you got to do is pull over and pick one up. You get a brand new fresh one. <laughs> Amen. See, greed, literally greed, will manifest in compulsions. You know, you save all your Dairy Queen cups. You save this, you save that. You pack rat. They got whole TV shows called what? Hoarding. Where people, what do you think that is? What do you think? Did you know that's an evil spirit from the devil? That causes people to hoard like that. And that's exactly what people get into. Go and clean your house out. Glory to God. Get all that clutter out of there. You don't need all them straws. You don't need all those Dixie cups. You don't need all, that, all those toothpicks, all that kind of stuff. Man, how'd we get off on that? It's good anyway, though. Isn't it the truth? I'm just trying to help you. Just trying to bless you. No, no, no. The love of money is the root of all evil, and the greatest evil is greed. No, greed will always leave you empty, lonely, depressed, wanting more. It's never satisfied. But God says, here you go. You tithe, you offer, you give unto the Lord, you believe God financially. You don't have any more faith. You don't have any faith in the world, the world system, the banking system, lending, borrowing. Your faith is in the Word of God because you know your God supplies all of your need. He is your Jehovah Jireh. As much as he's your savior. I love, I heard this guy say this the other day. I thought it was really good. He said, you know, one day I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He said, you know, about two years later I got sick and I got into the Word of God and I accepted Jesus as my healer. He said, about three years after that I had a financial difficulty and I made Jesus 
the Lord of my prosperity. And he just started teaching along those lines. And I thought, that is so good. We know we get Jesus when we get saved. We get all the pain. But, you know, you got to come to the place where you say, you know, Jesus is my wealth. Jesus is my all in all. He's my prosperity. He took my poverty so that I, through him, might be made rich. Now, don't get mad if you collect coupons or do this and that. It's good. Listen, it's good to be thrifty, but it's not good to be stingy. And there is a difference. But here's the good news. Your giving and your continual giving breaks that down in your life. Well, your faith is not in money. It's not in gold coins. It's not in stocks and bonds. Your faith is in the Word of God. That's the only thing that's going to last anyway. Amen? Praise God. You ready to give this evening? Let's hold up our offerings and make our confession of faith. Say it with me. Ready? One, two, three. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the seed you've placed in my hand. Willingly and obediently, I sow it into the kingdom of God, thanking you, Lord, that it comes back to me. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. I claim every dime that I may need to meet my needs, and I claim increase, 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 and abundance above that. Devil, in the name of Jesus, get your hands off of my finances. Heavenly Father, I thank you according to your word. Angels are released on my behalf, bringing back to me that which my faith appropriates in Jesus' name. All my bills paid. All my debts retired. We claim every dime we need to preach the gospel here on the island and around the world. Thank you, Lord, for our land and building. Now put your hands up and thank God for it tonight. Hallelujah, Lord. We thank you for our land, for our building. Lord, we rejoice. We rejoice in Jesus' precious name. Praise the Lord. You can receive the offering tonight. Hallelujah. We have been studying the subject of faith. The Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. You can go to Hebrews chapter 10. For those that come to him must believe that he is a rewarder, that must believe that he is God and that he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. We understand by the word of God that no matter what endeavor we're involved in, in spiritual things, it has to be by faith. Pray, you have to do it by faith. Worship God by faith. Praise God by faith. Give by faith. Witness by faith. Evangelize by faith. Pray for the sick by faith. Operating the gifts of the Holy Ghost has to work by faith. Amen. So we've looked at over the past, I don't know how many weeks we've been doing it, just very basic principles of how faith operates. First of all, we determine that God is a just God. He demands faith of believers, of His children, and He's given us information that tells us what faith is, tells us how to use it, and causes faith to come, which is His Word. Amen? Word is full of instruction when it comes to faith. So we saw, number one, faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. Hearing is something that goes on beyond your intellect. Hearing is the Word of God dropping into your human spirit. The Word becomes faith when you hear it. I, for teaching in a Bible school for 13 years, teaching on the subject of faith, I had two different classes I developed. One, principles of faith. The other was faith in action. In principles of faith, we taught the Word of God, the Logos of God, the written Word of God, becomes the rhema Word of God when you hear it. People say, now that's too simple. No, it's not, it's not too simple. 
it's simple enough to where when you realize that you give your total attention to the Word of God and make a decision not to challenge what it says with your intellect, meditate on it, allow it to be ministered to you, read the Word of God, memorize the Word of God, study the Word of God, the Word of God will drop past your intellect and into your heart. That's the Word that's revealed to you. That's the Word that's real to you. That is the rhema Word of God. We see in the Word of God, that's exactly how Jesus was conceived. When Mary said unto the angel there in Luke chapter 1, Be it unto thy handmaiden according to thy word. That's the word rhema. She heard something. Amen. Amen. We know she resisted. <coughs> Excuse me. When that angel first appeared to her, she resisted what that angel said. Uh, she cast in her mind, the Bible said. What manner of salutation is this? And then she resisted again when she considered uh, the impossibility. How can this be seeing I know not a man? But that angel just stayed with it. Kept imparting the word. Kept imparting the word. Kept imparting the word. Till that word broke through. Broke through the intellect. Broke through everything else. And she just kind of, I could see her just taking a deep breath and said, I can't figure all this out. All I know is be it unto thy handmaiden according to thy word. And immediately Jesus was conceived. Same thing with many of the other things that Jesus did when they responded to his word. Remember Peter when they were fishing, when he went down to, the, uh, to Galilee and met those fishermen, and Peter said, nevertheless, at thy word. Amen. And a reluctant word produced a tremendous amount of fish for Peter and all those that worked in that fishing industry there. So actually, faith comes by the word that's real to you, the word that's revealed to you. Now you've got to understand something. God is not withholding revelation from anybody. Amen. We see in Matthew chapter 16 where Jesus asked the disciples, Whom do men say that I the Son of Man am? Well, some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're Elijah. One of the other prophets. He said, But whom do you say that I am? Peter jumped up and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus turned to him and said, Blessed. Everybody say blessed. That's the word empowered. Blessed art thou, Simon by Jordan. Flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father that is in heaven. If you know that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior, you've been visited by God. You have had a visitation. People say, well, I, it, what, I didn't have a dream. I didn't see a vision. No, no. God has visited your human spirit and left a piece, a residue of himself on the inside of you. You know that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You did not get it from Pastor Rusty. You didn't get it from the radio preacher. You didn't get it from the television preacher. You got that from God. Now, everything else God wants you to have, he wants to reveal it to you. But you've got to ask. You've got to knock. You've got to seek. And in so doing, faith comes. Then we looked at the primary way in which faith is released is through confession. You must learn to speak the Word. We've said this for years around here. You allow your mouth to feed your heart faith when you don't need it so your heart can feed your mouth faith when you do need it. Need it. Excuse me. That's like you, you every day in your prayer time, uh, you walk, uh, walk around or kneel or whatever you do, but you lift your hands, you worship God, you thank Him for His Word, and say, say, say you're healing, say you're confessing healing scripture. You're not sick. There's no symptoms in your body. You've had no doctor's report. But, you know, for the last two years, you, Father, I thank you. 
Jesus was wounded for my transgression, bruised for my iniquity, chastisement of my peace. By his stripes I am here. The law, the spirit of life in Christ sets me free from the law of sin and death. Thank you, Heavenly Father. I've been delivered from the power of darkness, translated in the kingdom of your dear son. Thank you, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. It dwells in me. It quickens. It makes alive my... I thank you, Lord. I thank you for your healing. Well, see, that healing power is working in your spirit. Then you wake up one morning and symptoms are attacking your body. Well, now you kind of switch your gear. Now you're not speaking to the Lord. Now you're not worshiping God and thanking Him for it. Now you turn to the circumstance. You turn to the pain. You turn to the symptom. You say, oh, no, no, you don't. It is written. He was wounded for my transgressions, bruised for my iniquity. The chastisement of my peace was by His stripes. I'm healed. Get out of my body in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now somebody said, well, what if that doesn't work? Never consider the what ifs. Somebody asked me one time, how, how long do I have to do that? I said, tell you, you don't have to do it no more. That makes it pretty easy. Amen. Then we looked at the works. How would we spend three or four weeks looking at acting on the Word of God? That is where the enemy trips up so many believers. They act on presumption. They act on assumption. Or they don't, any, they don't even act at all. But the Bible says, faith without works is dead. Wilt thou know, O vain man, faith without works is dead. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith also is without works is dead. Uh, so faith without works is dead. You've got to come to the place in your walk of faith where you have believed in your heart, confessed with your mouth, believed in your heart, confessed with your mouth, believed in your heart, Confess with your mouth, and then act on what God says. How do you know when to do it? That's why you have to walk in the Spirit. The Spirit man on the inside of you. The Bible says the Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. God will give you a way of acting. He will give you an act. He will give you something to do. The problem that we've tried to do is we've tried to cookie-cut faith where everybody acts this way for this, everybody acts that way for that. It does not work that way. I mean, I've read guys' books where they talked about receiving this or receiving that. And this, you know, how to receive $100,000 from God. You've got to give this amount and that amount and this amount. But see, that person may have been on this level of faith, but you may be a little lower or you may be a little higher. God may require one act from one individual and a completely different act from another individual and both receive the same thing from God, both based on their current level of faith. So that brings us to tonight. You say, well, pastor, I've believed in my heart. I've confessed with my mouth. I've acted on the word of God. Nothing's happened. What do I do now? Well, let's look at it. Hebrews chapter 10. Look what it says. Let me find it here. Verse 35. Hebrews chapter 10. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. Now, we're talking about tonight standing in faith. That means faith has come to your heart. You've spoken the word. You continue to speak it. You've acted on the word. You continue to act. You're believing God. Now you're doing what? You're standing in faith. Everybody say standing. So to stand, first of all, you have to do what? Cast not away, therefore, your confidence. Now, confidence is more than just your faith. It includes your current faith, what you're receiving now. Your future faith, what you're believing God for. Your hope coupled with all your past experiences. Everything you're doing to believe and receive from God. Your total package, all your confidence. Amen. Don't 
Cast away your confidence. For you have need of patience. That after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. Now, people don't like that. They go, wait a second. God's putting a demand upon me. Exactly. The Word puts a demand upon us. After we've done what? The will of God. The will of God and the Word of God are synonymous. When you are doing the will of God, you are doing the Word of God. Within that is your act of faith. As you stand on the Word of God, you continue in all of the principles that got you to that point. As you stand in the Word of God, you cast not your confidence. You continue to act on the Word. You continue to speak the Word. You continue to meditate and embrace the Word. You continue. Now, see, this is why a lot of people don't like because faith to them is a product. You say, what do you mean a product? Well, it's something they keep up on their spiritual shelf up here. That's where they keep it. And they think, well, if I ever have a need, then I'll go get my faith. You ought to be walking in faith every day of your life. It should not be a product. It should be your lifestyle. If it's your lifestyle, then you're always in some process of believing, uh, speaking, acting, standing, rejoicing, receiving, and starting it all over again. It may be several different things you're believing God for, several different things you're releasing your faith towards. Amen? So, after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For a little while, now listen to this, for a little while, and he that shall come will come and not tarry. Now, that scripture there almost seems out of place. What do you mean, he that, what does that have to do with anything? You ever thought about that? Does anybody here read the Bible? <laughs> now notice, let me read that again. It says, for yet a little while, and he, if that's not capitalized in your King James, please capitalize that H, that's talking about Jesus. He that shall come will come and not tarry. Now, He's saying this. He injects this right in the middle of us not casting away our confidence. He said, I don't care what anybody says. I don't care how many generations come and go. I don't care how many millenniums come and go. It does not matter to me. Jesus said he's coming back. He's coming back. He's coming back. So he just interjected that right there so that you will understand if he said it, it's going to happen. Just like he said he would come the first time, he came the first time. Just like Jesus said, I'm coming back in the same manner that I left here, I'm coming back the same way. He's coming back. So you can have confidence if God said it, it's going to happen. So that's why he put that scripture in there. Then he says this. He says, now, the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Don't draw back. That's the worst thing you can do. Listen. Either don't do it or, or go all the way. Amen. Uh, either, listen, we've said this for you. Live for God all out, 100%, 110%. Because any other way of living, compromising faith, compromising the principles of the, it's going to, listen, it's going to be so miserable. You're just going to be miserable. You say, why am I going to be so miserable? Hearing the word, not doing it. Hearing the word, not saying it. Hearing the word, not doing it. Coming to church, praising, worshiping God, not doing it at home, not doing it during the week. This, that creates misery. You know why? It's not because of God. It's because of your adversary, the, de the devil, getting on your back all the time and causing you to live in a perpetual state of guilt and condemnation. That's where depression comes from. In many believers, that's where depression comes from. 
Because they get all fired up in a service, they get all fired up at a camp meeting, get all fired up at a conference, but then they go out and their everyday lifestyle, amen, is not what it is when they're sitting in that pew. Their Bible doesn't open, but on Sundays and Wednesdays, their Bible doesn't open except when they need. But you've got to make a decision. I'm going to live this thing every day. The Bible says the outward man perisheth, but the inward man, inward man is renewed what? Day by day by day by day. Start where you're at. Don't try to pray five hours a day and study the Word of God two hours a day. Start where you're at. If you get up in the morning, read the Bible for five minutes. Pray for ten. Start somewhere. Start a life of faith, living for God. Because you can't increase what you're not doing. You know, people do that physically. They'll go to the gym. They'll make a, uh, what do we call them in, in, in uh, uh, New Year's? I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to get in shape. So they go buy them a, you know, $5,000 gym membership, go to the gym, and they work out for four hours the first day and never go back. Say, so forget that. Well, I wonder why. People say, I'm going to die. You know, here you, you know, you eat 14 candy bars a day and drink uh, five Cokes and do all this kind of stuff. So you stop all of that and you last how long? About 15 minutes. <laughs> no, start where you are. Just begin. Begin to pray every day. Begin to study the Word every day. Every day, you ought to just take it, write down a little scripture, put it in your pocket, put it in your purse. Every day, glance at it, meditate. You've got, you've got a minute here, a minute there, five minutes here, five minutes there. You can do that every day. Every, anything that you do to perpetuate a lifestyle of faith, God will get into that and anoint you to do it. You say, well, I can't, I don't have time. You have to make time. You'll never find time. If you look, you'll never find time. You have to make time to do it. I like verse 39. But we are not of them who draw back under perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. Amen. Now, go to Ephesians. Ooh, my time's almost up. Go to Ephesians. We may stay on this a couple of weeks. Anybody making a stand of faith in here? Need some good standing on faith teaching? Go to Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6. Let's, let's start there in verse 10. It says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the devices or the traps of the devil. Everybody say the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Now, let's just stop here for a minute. This will help you. This scripture right here, a lot of the warfare people use this scripture to tell us we're in a warfare. But the Bible does not say we war. It says we wrestle. Now, if you'll go study the difference between the two words, a war is a conflict with an undetermined outcome. You know, you that are studying uh, have studied American history and I guess in the eighth grade they studied again in one of the grades in high school you if you study World War II there was not a determined outcome until April of 1945 in in Europe 
And until August, actually September, when they signed it in the, in the, in the harbor of Tokyo Bay, September of 1945, over in, in Tokyo. Now, those two uh, uh, incidents in those months, that showed the, the, the determined outcome was settled. The Axis powers lost. The Allies won. Changed the complexion of the world. Amen. But up until then, there was a question, especially in those early years. People were freaked out. They didn't know the whole West Coast was on. They didn't know that Japan wasn't going to invade uh, the United States, come to the West Coast. And Hawaii, they thought, they thought, listen, they thought they were going to get invaded that night or the next morning after the attack on Pearl Harbor. Uh, two or three months, four or five months into World War II, man, I'm telling you, we had, we had defeat after problem, after this, after that. Man, I'm telling you, we had all kinds of disaster. It didn't, things weren't going well. If you, if you studied American history. The determined outcome was not, we were at war. I mean, it, it, we did not know if we may be learning to speak Japanese or German. We had no idea. But we stayed with it. And people prayed, believed God. And soldiers went, men fought, men died. And eventually, the outcome was what? Victory. Now listen, Jesus gave us, Jesus won the war. He gave us the victory. The determined outcome was not yet settled. The Bible says, if the princes of this world would have known, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. Amen. The, the devil did the stupidest thing he could ever do. Now listen, listen. Satan does not live in hell. Are you with me? He does not live in hell. He's loosed on the earth and in the heavenlies. But hell is his seat of authority. You say, what do you mean his seat of authority? That's where every person will go that follows Satan, that follows the devil. That's his seat of authority. Now Jesus went into hell, went into Satan's seat of authority, and spoiled principalities and powers, and made a show of them openly triumphing over them. That phrase right there is the exact phrase that is used to describe what kings used to do when they would go into the capital city of other kings after they had defeated their nation. They would bound the king, they would bind all of the, uh, of the cabinet of the king and they would parade them through the capital city so that everybody in the seat of authority could see they're defeated, they're empty, they're, they no longer have any power. The only power the devil has over you is the power you give him. You give him power with your mind, your, your words, but if you don't give him any power, he ain't got any power over you. But now there are demon forces, Satan, that'll do what? They'll try to wrestle. They'll try, to, they'll try to come and wrestle the Word of God from you. So you've got to make a decision. Devil, you're not going to win no wrestling match with me. You can wrestle all you want to, but I'm going to slam dunk you every time. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to back up. I'm going to stand. Amen. Everybody say stand. Now, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Your problem's not with your mother-in-law. I've had 50 services where people come here and say, it is my mother-in-law. No, it's not your mother-in-law, your father-in-law, your aunt, your uncle, your brother's... It's not with flesh and blood. Amen. But against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in high places. See, there were some novels that came out back in the 90s that were written about this great warfare that wages back and forth in the unseen realm. Good and evil, light and dark, death and light, God and Satan. Now, I watch people as a, many of the people that I watch read those novels either went into fear or depression. 
either fear or depression. You say, well, well it didn't have any, it, there was no basis in the Word of God. Amen? Now, what they were saying was that there was an undetermined outcome. People would do crazy stuff. They'd go get in airplanes and get way up above the cities and fly around and around and around and around and say, now if we can just break the, the principalities and the powers over the city, we can have revival. I know one particular preacher that tried that, and it cost him his ministry. You say, why? What we said earlier. Anytime you try to do something that's already been done, you cheapen the work of Jesus upon the cross. He already did all of that. I mean, you know, and people. I heard the story of the people that went to Las Vegas, rented them a, a little corporate jet, had 15 or 16 people. Round and round they went, above, praying in tongues, binding the principality. Bind, and then when they landed, they had this great revelation. They got off the plane and said, the Lord showed us the prince that rules over Las Vegas, Nevada. Everybody was, who could it be? It's a prince of gambling. <laughs> Duh. You couldn't figure that out without flying around Las Vegas for a Four hours? I mean, you could ask some drunk in the, in the gutter that lost all of his money. Say, you know, I'm a spiritual person. I, I wonder if you know well, if there's some kind of devil. Say, I tell you, it's gambling. He got all my money. <laughs> now, here's the thing, church. As long as anybody's willing to participate with the demonic realm, then the demonic realm will hang around. But the good news is, those that are willing to participate with the Holy Ghost and with the Word of God, they will dispel the darkness. I remember when all that was going on, I was watching a 700 Club. Uh, how many remember the 700 Club? And all that warfare and stuff was going on. And, and uh, Pat Robinson was interviewing Teal Osborne. And he said this to Teal Osborne. He said, he said, Brother Osborne, those great crusades you have, all that God's done in your ministry is doing now in your ministry. This would have been 1992, 93. He said, you must spend a lot of time in spiritual warfare over those nations. He said, hadn't spent a second. And Pat Robinson's eyes got about that big. He says, I never, he said, I never, I never spend any time in spiritual warfare over any nation. He said, but you've had such great results. Millions have been saved. Thousands have been healed. There's been all these signs and wonders and miracles. How do you account for that? He says, when I get there, Jesus gets there. Oh, that's pretty good. When I get there, Jesus gets there. People have said it to us. We have even people come to the church and God has sent us here to help spiritually map the city so that we can figure out what demonic forces are here or there. We don't care about all of that. All we're going to do is preach the gospel and more and more light and more and more people are going to get saved. We're going to cast out devils, lay hands on the sick, freely we receive, freely we get. We're not getting in a war. Jesus is our Lord. It says, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Now, we're closer tonight. Notice those two words. Having done all. Now, this is literally speaking to us about taking a stand of faith. How do you take a stand of faith? Number one, you have to do all first. If I were to walk up to you and say, well, pastor, I'm believing God for this, my first question would be, what makes you think you have the right to believe God for that? Well, you ought to just flip your Bible open and say, well, I've got this scripture and this scripture and this scripture. And that's exactly how you answer a question like that. That's what gives you the right to believe that. What the Word says. Then my second question would, to you would be, have you been speaking that? Has that Word been coming out of your mouth? Well, no, I've just been talking about how bad things are. Well, no wonder you're in so much trouble. 
Well, I've been just telling my neighbor, you know, I'm trying to believe. No wonder. You do not try the word. You must be a doer of the word. You know, how many are married in here? Got to be married men, married women. Thank God for marriage. Amen. If you got married and stood before a minister and took vows, at the end of the vows, did you say, well, I'll try. Did you say that? Oh, well, I'll give it a try. We'll give it a try, you know. We'll, we'll try it out here for a couple of weeks. If it don't work out, I'll tell you. I, I'm moving back with Mama. That don't work. I mean, when I married Leah, I had to look at her and say, I do. If I wouldn't, that little Cajun girl, she'd have bopped me upside my head. Because you don't try marriage. You got to do it. You got to say, I do. Everybody say, I do. Faith is the same way. Well, I'll, try, I'll give it a try. I'll give it an old, good old college try, Pastor. I'm going to give it a good old try. Try it out. Please don't do that. Because you're going to end up disappointed. you got to get in there and say, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I tell you, I made this decision years ago. I prayed that prayer. I said, Lord, I'll pray for the sick. I'll cast out devils. I'll preach to God. I don't care if I never see any result. I'm still going to preach, prophesy. I'm going to do everything just like your word says. Because I ain't trying this thing. I'm doing it in Jesus' name. The results are not on me. They're on you, Lord. You're the one that's got to produce it. But I'm going to do everything I know to do in the word of God. You have to do all. I heard it. Uh, Brother Hagen, he said it years ago. I remember as a kid, those altars we used to have at First Assembly in Pasadena. Big old long altars. And we used to always have the men on one side and the women on the other. And there'd be people praying around the altar, praying around the altar, praying. And now Brother Hagen used to come to our church, oh, what, a couple of times a year at first and then once a year later before the good ones retired. And, and he'd walk around, ask tap people on the shoulder, what are you praying for? Oh, nothing. Oh, nothing. Well, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just praying. What are you praying for? Well, no. He said, I, know, I, fail, I noticed that every person that prayed for nothing never failed to receive, receive exactly what they're praying for. What are you standing for? What are you praying for? What do you believe in God for? Amen? Oh, just a, I just want a blessing. What does it mean? What does it mean? Well, I, I just want God to bless him. What does it mean? I remember Brother Shambach, he came to Lakewood when I was in Bible school there, and he gave, gave the testimony of praying for a guy. He was using the, uh, be, be specific in your faith. Be specific in your prayer. He said that he was in Philadelphia, had his tent up, was praying, and a guy came forward. He said, what do you want from the Lord? He said, I want a job. He said, I laid my hands on it. I said, Lord, give him the best $7 an hour garbage collecting job in Philadelphia. He said, the guy pushed, pushed me away. He said, no, no, no. He said, I'm a computer analyst. He said, why didn't you say so? He said, so he said so. He said, well, I want a job as a computer analyst. In a, in a, and he said, he got that guy's tithe. He said, the guy got a great job. Sent him the first tithe check. Amen. No, what are you standing for? What is your stand of faith all about? What's it for? Healing? Okay, healing. Prosperity? Prosperity. Praise God. Get specific. Get specific. What exactly are you believing God for? Because then you can do all. And once you've done all, then you can stand. And we'll pick it up next week and see where God has equipped you by the Word. What? Every part of the armor of God is made up of the Word of God to equip your mind, your heart, your, 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 the places you go, the things that you do. It literally, your strength, your core strength, everything about the Word of God will will arm you and equip you to make a stand of faith 
no matter what it's for. God's already put it in here. Amen? You love the Lord? Well, lift your hands up and thank Him tonight. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your blessing, Lord. Thank You for Your anointing, Lord. Thank You for the entrance of Your Word, bringing light and life to each and every one of us tonight. Lord, as we leave this evening, we exercise our faith for safety and protection. Thanking You, Heavenly Father, there shall no evil befall us, neither shall any plague come nigh our dwelling place. Rejoicing that you, Lord, give angels charge over us. Therefore, as we travel on the highways, the airways, the seaways, the railways, any other way of travel or transportation, whether it be for our business, whether it be for pleasure, whether it be for recreation, thank you that we are protected. Lord, in the righteous labor of our hands, whether it be in the medical field, educational field, whether it be up in the plants, up in... Up in thank you for joining us today. We trust that you enjoyed the podcast. For service times and special events, visit our webpage at www.islandchurchgalveston.com. You can contact us by phone at 409-770-9113. We are located at 2411 69th Street, Galveston, Texas. And remember to keep looking unto Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith.